One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to Noise in Brief, PR Week UK's fortnightly podcast series where we discuss the biggest industry news stories from the past week in a bite-sized format. I'm your host, Siobhan Holt, news editor at PR Week UK, and today I'm joined by our UK editor, John Harrington, and reporter Evie Barrett. Welcome both. I want to take this sneaky opportunity to quickly chat about PR Week UK's conference schedule. Uh, we have PR Week's Pharmacoms conference coming up in March, so check that out. And then later in spring, we'll host our huge PR 360 conference in Brighton. Details of all our events in 2024 can be found at prweek.com, so book your place today. Let's move on to the news. In this week's episode, we're going to focus on the biggest industry stories of the past week, and there has been lots of industry hires, departures and promotions. So John, let's begin with you. Which industry hire stood out to you recently and why? Well, feels like we should probably start with Burson. Soon, <laughs> soon to be Burson. Um, for those who haven't um, been following the news or have been hiding under an industry rock for the past few weeks, um, WPP is going to be merging uh, BCW and Hill and Knowlton from July to create a new agency called Burson. So the latest news from uh, a couple of days ago was the fact that it's named its kind of regional leadership teams and included in this is the UK and Europe leadership teams. So holding the same job titles at Burson will be Scott Wilson, um, currently Chief Executive of EMEA at BCW, and Simon Whitehead, who's the UK Chief Executive of Hill & Knowlton currently. Rebecca Grant, incidentally, who's currently the UK Chief Executive and Global Chief Brand Officer at BCW, is to leave in spring slash summer for a new regional leadership role elsewhere, which will be announced imminently. So... As I said, I mean, this this merger has really been the biggest industry story of the year so far, um, which considering only, only six weeks in mm. isn't necessarily saying much. But I think it will be the biggest industry story for the whole of the year. I don't, I don't think that's um, too controversial. You know, it's going to create probably the world's biggest PR agency. Um, I recommend checking out a podcast we did a couple of weeks ago on Burson. Um, I won't repeat all of what we said then, but I just want to reflect a bit on the new leadership. I mean, firstly... You know, it kind of mirrors the global leadership, really, with the two most senior roles um, in the UK and EMEA, um, one going to a BCW person, one going to a Hill & Knowlton person. Um, 
I know Scott and Simon are both very experienced and trusted figures at, at WPP, and I'm, I'm kind of not surprised they've been chosen. But it does sort of suggest that there is this desire to keep um, elements of BCW and elements of H&K both very prominent um, in the kind of senior roles and sort of very visible in, in the sort of new, new look agency. Mm, there's um, a real balance going on, isn't there, when they're doing announcements at the moment? Yes, I think there is a comms element to this too, that they don't want to look as though one is... Um, subsuming the other mm. um, so this is one way to do it but as I say I, I also think they're sort of two trusted trusted people so it makes sense um, and Rebecca Grants uh, will be big boots to fill just to sort of recap she joined what was then Conan Wolf 13 years ago became UK CEO at BCW um, in 2016 and she later added global chief brand officer to her role so you know a really sort of significant player um, in the business and instantly, we understand that Rebecca resigned prior to the announcement. Um, but, you know, we'll look with interest at what her next steps will be. No, I agree. I was uh, I was quite surprised at Rebecca's departure because, as you say, she's a very long-standing member of staff. Um, also, when it was Conan Wolf that came, became BCW, so that experience there. Um, so, yeah, I was a bit surprised at that news. But I think you're right, the balance is definitely going on that they're trying to have a representative from both and it's being really demonstrated through the comms. Yeah. Would you agree, Evie? Yeah, I think so. I think, like you say, it's a bit of a shock that she's going, but it'll be interesting to see how that changes the the dynamic of the new business. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, there were there were some departures at, uh, at, at the agencies before the announcement and I'm sure, you know, there will be some others. And, you know, we know that it's, um, a very kind of disruptive time for a lot of people. So obviously, you know, thoughts with those who are kind of going through this process. Um, but, you know, we wish we wish everyone all, all, all the best with it. So moving on to another um, agency you may have heard of, mm-hmm. um, beginning with a B. Um, <laughs> it's a theme. <laughs> it, there is definitely a theme at the moment. Um, yeah, big news from Brunswick um, a few days ago. I say a few days ago, literally on the same day. So that yes. was a nice afternoon, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, thank four you. o'clock. <laughs> but, thank you to the industry for coordinating your announcements. Um, big news from Brunswick, which has a new chief executive, Henry Timms, uh, who's currently president and chief executive of the Lincoln Centre for the Performing Arts in New York. So not a traditional um, comms role, you might say. We'll take over from Neil Wallin, who's been CEO since 2018. Wallin now becomes vice chair. Um, and Timms, incidentally, will be based in New York. Uh, probably worth saying there are changes in the UK too. Chief Operating Officer Helen James is stepping down. Uh, she'll be replaced by UK managing partner Tom Burns. And the new managing partner is Sarah West, who's been a partner in London since 2006. So where do we start? I mean, I, I should probably give a little bit of background for those who don't know Brunswick quite so well. You know, it's a, it's a real kind of legend of our industry. <clears throat> and also um, country's biggest uh, comms consultancy, according to the most recent uh, PR UK Top 150 table, uh, its heritage is very much financial PR, founded in 1987 by Sir Alan Parker, uh, industry legend. In recent years, it's been diversifying a lot um, and expanding its its global reach. Um, so, um, new US-based chief executive, is, is this significant? Should we read much into this, do you think? Uh, I would say so. I think it's... It's an interesting move that he's based in New York. Um, in an interview with the FT, Tim's has said that Brunswick was bound to think about geographic spread, is his terms, um, and into areas like the Americas and Asia. 
Um, and he said that's what he'll be thinking about when he takes over later this year. And also in that article, it said that the group now generates more than half its revenues in the US, which I think is fascinating. It's obviously, as you say, expanded from its traditional PR work um, into areas like investor relations, regulation, ESG, geopolitical advice. So I think it's quite a significant move, this, um, and a significant hire. Do you agree? Yeah, I think you mentioned geopolitical advice. I imagine US clients are going to need a lot of that this year. So it makes sense that they're kind of focusing a lot on that market and, and what they can do there. And I think it does influence, obviously, things over here too. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, we've seen the sort of really big global powerhouses, um, FGS Global, Taneo, um, FTI, they're sort of known for having a very big US presence. Mm. Um, and maybe there's a sense that Brunswick is still seen as a sort of London financial PR agency. And it is it is quite a lot more than that and mm. has been for quite a long time. But I wonder if there is sort of slightly that element of you know, wanting to show that you're you're that the, the the boss of the business is where, uh, you know, is in is 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 very much in in the heart of the U.S. Um, scene. So there could be something in that as well. Um, I mean, I also think you know it's probably worth mentioning. I mentioned the new UK managing partner. She's got a background in TMT, so tech, media, and telecoms. I mean, I'd argue perhaps this shows that Brunswick has really been kind of in, embracing new industries and specialisms in in recent years and. Perhaps this is a sign of, of that too. Yeah, I agree. And I think the same can be said of Tim's as well. I mean, it's an interesting move to hire someone from the Lincoln Centre, which is obviously a leading arts centre in the US, um, where he's been president and CEO. But his background as well, he was an exec director of 92 Street Y, again, non-profit cultural institution. So maybe it's that ESG side of things that they're sort of looking at that's sort of expanding. Hiring someone with more philanthropic movements in his experience might be an interesting take. He is also a PR Week Global Award winner. So well, there you go. <laughs> High caliber right there. There you go. So the lesson is enter the PR Week Global Awards. Absolutely. And you too could become the chief executive of one of the biggest agencies around. No. So um, entry's still open, by the way. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me give that plug. I'm sure our bosses will appreciate it. <laughs> they really will. <laughs> Evie, were there any other hires or news announcements this week that you thought were interesting? Yeah, so there was a big one this week. Um, the law firm-owned agency Shillings Communications has officially launched. Um, and with it, it brings a core team of senior hires from top PR agencies so far, we've seen three corporate comms pros and four digital comms experts join the team and they're set to all work together in one integrated operation. And they've appointed some big, some people from big name agencies. I think like Edelman was one, Portland, Taneo. Is there anything that really stands out from maybe their backgrounds in these hires? Yeah, so I think the corporate comms element is sort of to be expected, but the digital side of things seems particularly strong. They refer to that part of the business as digital resilience, and I believe it's set to focus on handling high stakes crises and revolving around online threats. From speaking to the Shillings comms team, it seems like they see controlling your online presence as the future of reputation management, which is understandable. And I think they're well equipped to advise on this. One of their new hires that stood out to me was Olivia Murray, who joins um, from being a social media specialist at BP, where she focused on crisis and community management, among other things, which I'm sure was a very busy role. Mm -hmm. 
They've also got James English, who has led SEO in-house for companies like the BBC, JD Sports and Depop, which are obviously very relevant and successful brands. So there can't be any doubt that they'll have lots of up-to-date, strong insights from him. I do think that this kind of digital service nicely complements their other offers, which was the intention of launching a Shillings comms agency because it can operate alongside the firm's legal team, critical risk and its security team and the privacy team as part of its wider multidisciplinary model. Absolutely. Do you think that with this move, is Shillings, could it be a, like a real threat maybe to big advisory firms like Brunswick that we've been talking about? What do you both think? I feel that some of this conversation is slightly overblown personally. I mean, I think I think in some ways, yes, when it comes to reputation management specifically, when mm. it comes to sort of crisis, let's face it, you know, um, you could say that Shillings is offering with this reputation management just on a bigger scale, you know, in the eyes of the law, um, as it obviously traditionally does, but also in the eyes of the media and the eyes of the public and, uh, you know, all the stuff about the sort of investment in, in social media and the focus on that is all very relevant. And I think it will be very successful. That said, I think if you're talking about, you know, growing scale um, as a PR operation, I think the big clients are increasingly looking for a whole range of services that are really specific to comms agencies, you know, whether that's financial PR, content creation of various types, you know, kind of matching external comms with internal comms um, and many more things. Um, to think, you know, even a major law firm can start doing all these things to attract the really big global clients seems unlikely in my view, but I do think the comms side will be a big boost to shillings and it, it totally makes sense. Um and I do think a lot of other legal firms will be watching closely. And I made and this article I wrote at the start of the year, 24 predictions for PR in 2024. I did predict that um, another big law firm would either buy a PR agency or launch its own division. Mm. Um, so I, I stand by that. <laughs> um, and we've got um, 10 and a half months for that to happen. So we'll see. But um, yeah, so in, in, in summary, I guess you know, good move for shillings. It's really interesting to watch how this is going to develop. But the idea that Brunswick, etc., is quaking their boots, I, I don't think so. But as I say, you know, watch with interest. Absolutely. And I think we've definitely seen that on the shoe on the other foot in the sense of PR agencies that maybe were more traditional, moving into different elements, broadcast, pot, you know, there's other yeah. elements to it. So we've definitely seen the reverse of that and as you say they're not them becoming something else they're still sticking with pr so i think you're right there that i don't think it's going to be taken over and um and that they're going to be challenging like you say the brunswick's of this world no i mean these these are these are huge beasts really aren't they yeah. with all sorts of um specialisms in a lot of different areas and sort of you know knowledge of lots of different sectors and so on so you know um i i just as i said i don't think that's something you can just you, you can replicate even with a you know, a really talented team that looks like they've they've got on board. They've definitely gone for that. They've gone for a really strong team. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. As we record this podcast, the world is still enjoying the marketing extravaganza that was the Super Bowl. Uh, The American football game was watched by an average of 123.4 million people in the US, making it the most watched broadcast since the moon landing back in 1969, which is phenomenal. Mm. Um, Congratulations must go to the Kansas City Chiefs for beating the San Francisco 49ers, which I know nothing about, by the way. Um, And also to pop star and PR dream Taylor Swift, which I definitely know about. Um, She became the focal point during the NFL's most important night of the year and scoring global coverage as she shared a kiss with her boyfriend, footballer Travis Kelsey. 
Now, I think American football can be a bit marmite for people over on this side of the pond. You either love it or you hate it or you're not interested in it. But from a marketing perspective, it's a golden opportunity for PR and comms. Um, which Super Bowl campaign caught your attention, Evie, and why? I'm going to go for one that a lot of people have praised, but I thought Michael Cera pretending that he was the mastermind behind the skincare brand Cera V was an idea that seemed to work really well. The PR element to it, which I thought was quite smart, was that in the weeks prior to the Super Bowl, he was papped carrying bags full of CeraVe products, which people on the internet seem to find quite funny, even even without any kind of explanation. Um, it strikes me that the Super Bowl's gained a lot more momentum in recent years, and it's reached a point where it's quite meta. So all the best campaigns, in my view, are essentially the ones that are just parodies and making fun of the ad world, really. There's also the whole debate around purpose. Um, I do think purposeful campaigns can obviously be entertaining too, but to me it doesn't feel like the ad break of an American football game is necessarily the ideal place to share a heartfelt message. How about you? What stood out to you, Siobhan? Um, I think for me, I really want to recognise Ogilvy. I think they did some brilliant campaign work throughout the Super Bowl. They did a few. So there was, as you say, the Sarah V one, there was a Dove one. But for me, my personal favourite was the advert for US communications giant Verizon. So the advert starred none other than Queen Bee herself, Beyonce, alongside Veep star Tony Hale. And in it, Beyonce attempts to sort of overload Verizon's capacity and try and break the internet so she dresses as inspired by Barbie she dresses as Barbie tries to run for president um, she unveils in a, an Apple styly a Beyonce AI robot um, she tries to perform in space each one slowly gets more absurd and hilarious as it goes along but then at the end of the advert she just turns to the camera and says okay they're ready drop the new music and immediately they released two brand new songs from a new album. So there was Texas Hold'em and Sixteen Carriages, which I just thought was phenomenal. It was such a clever way of combining a PR stunt and a campaign. Did you agree? What I especially enjoyed about that campaign was how it wasn't just a quick one-line cameo from Beyonce. They made the most of having her involved, making like pop culture references and really appealing to her fan base. I mean, the decision to tie in a new music release obviously helped Verizon out a lot. And then in a similar vein, the the promotion for the Wicked musical, I thought, worked in a similar style. So what they did with that was it was a combination of a PR stunt and the new trailer for the film. So for those that may not know, Wicked, successful Broadway show, but it's actually been turned into a movie musical. Um, and the first full trailer for the film was released during the Super Bowl adverts. And it starred singers Cynthia Revo and Ariana Grande. But part of the stunt was the pair of them, um, the two co-stars, sporting matching sequin Louis Vuitton mini dresses in the style of football jerseys. So one was green for Alpha Burr, the other one was pink for Glinda, which are the two characters from the musical. Um, and their names were on the back in a style of, in a jersey style. Loads of pictures were taken of this stunt and were shared. Um, and it's a really clever way of building up hype, I think, around the film, which is going to be released in two parts anyway, so they'll need all this hype. But it was a great first instalment um, that we'll be seeing later. Um, that'll be, the film will be launched later this year, but I thought it was a really clever way of combining a stunt with a campaign. Um, and it just really drew focus to the film. I think it's a funny one because you wouldn't traditionally think that American football fans would be the kind of people who would be interested in this, a trailer for a movie musical. Yeah. But I think with the whole Taylor Swift effect and like you say, so many people watching 
the the match this year they kind of managed to reach their their target audience I'm sure yeah it definitely felt much broader on some of the campaigns this year Mm. what did you think John were there any that you enjoyed but I do think that the sort of the Taylor Swift effect has had an impact on the nature of the marketing because I think people seem to be kind of um, reacting to the fact that there are different eyeballs on the Super Bowl I mean I think as far as I can tell, the Super Bowl was a very generalist thing. You know, it's not like it's just for diehard sports fans because yeah. 120 something million people in America is, um, uh, is is phenomenal. But it really feels like um, it's become a more uh, mainstream movement and maybe a sort of um, a kind of an event that whereas previously maybe it was slightly more geared towards men, maybe now it's more 50-50 or even maybe slightly more towards women. Who knows? If yeah. you look at who's, who's been targeted and in what ways. So... I think that's interesting. Um, I wrote a piece on this, just looking at, at some of the campaigns from the from the perspective of purpose, because um, I think that's really, you know, the, the the Super Bowl campaign is often seen as a kind of bellwether of of marketing trends, um, kind of a bit like Christmas is in in the UK, but obviously mm. very different types of events goes without saying. But I think what what we saw, I mean, if we look back, if we take things back to last year in the post sort of Bud Light, Dylan Mulvaney controversy that I'm, I'm sure we all know about by now, there was this real sense of kind of um, organisations being spooked and scared to do um, any marketing that sort of seemed to link to a, a progressive cause um, because they feared backlash in the sort of cult- culture war era. I picked out four campaigns that had a link to purpose, but all of the purpose elements were sort of intrinsically linked to what those organisations did. It wasn't a kind of abstract, you know, we're a company selling X, but let's, you know, let's save the whales today. Let's go for, uh, let's sort of promote female empowerment tomorrow Mm. kind of thing. An example of that that didn't really seem like a purpose campaign was one for Hellman's Mayonnaise starring a cat um, that that was able to to speak. But anyway, in a way, the sort of the... um, the kind of creative element doesn't matter so much, but what it was focused on was reducing um, food waste. So it was it was a kind of purpose that linked intrinsically to what um, the the product is. Yeah. Um, and then there were a, a, a few others, like there was a Dove campaign, as you'd expect, that was very much about female empowerment, as they've been doing for many years. Um, and the NFL themselves kind of brought out a campaign that was sort of promoting the idea that, you know, football is about opportunities and it's for everyone, American football, I should say. Um, so I thought this was really interesting and it, and it was kind of a coincidence, you know, we're recording this from Twickenham, um, Haymarket's headquarters. <laughs> we haven't just randomly gone to Twickenham to record a podcast. Not gone for a day out. <laughs> no, no, that would be, that would be a strange thing to do a couple of days after a big, a big rugby game. But yes, this is where our office is based. Um, and obviously, you know, the home of, of English rugby and, you know, the, the, it was interesting that there was a campaign for Guinness related to the Six Nations rugby and timed to go along with the England-Wales game, which is obviously a huge game in rugby circles, um, that was about um, uh, the sort of commentary that was um, for people who had hearing issues and, and, and so on. And sort of, it was kind of something that was linked to the purpose of of what they were doing, really. The fact that they've linked, linked to the sponsorship of, of rugby and, and all the rest of it. So it felt like in a funny way, on the same two sides of the Atlantic, there was kind of the same thing going on. Mm. And I kind of argue that this is like a maturity of purpose. And I think if people, people often say, don't they, you know, is purpose dead? Is purpose marketing something for the future? People just spooked. I don't think that's the case, but I think the sort of 
um, I think it's just becoming more mature and it's kind of being more linked to, um, you know, what the organisations actually do. So that was kind of my take, my take on on those campaigns. Okay, that's all the time we have for this episode. Noise in Brief goes live every two weeks, but look out for a longer interview-based podcast called Beyond the Noise, which comes out next week. Thank you to John and Evie for their insights. Do check out prweek.com for all the latest news and all our great events too that are coming up in 2024. I'm going to plug two fantastic award schemes while I've got you. 30 Under 30, our annual search for the Young Stars of UKPR and the PR Week Global Awards, as we've mentioned, which recognises the best campaigns, agencies, in-house teams and individuals in comms from across the globe. So enter both of those now. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, then we'd love it if you could leave a review, please, wherever you access uh, this podcast. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. See you next time.